0: Hello and welcome to the Fenced In podcast. You are here with myself and Chris Mollard. Our regular listener base will know who we are. For those that don't, go and check out our other seven podcasts because they're going well so far, I think. Um, but for a bit of background, Chris and I are GB International Foilists, um, as well as a coach and student and good friends. And we're bringing you this podcast to do with fencing in lockdown, all the things that you can be doing whilst you're all stuck indoors. Chris. How are you?
1: I'm very well. I just want to say as well, at the moment, fencing in lockdown and training in lockdown, but also really the idea is fencing beyond lockdown and and how we're going to keep doing that afterwards, because when we go back, it's going to be a bit of a shock. Um, But I'm very well. I'm very well.
0: How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I I absolutely want to echo what you're saying. I think a lot of the podcasts that we've done so far have been very much based on what people can do in lockdown, but also giving general information uh, about fencing for, for for any level really and we're trying to kind of information share and hopefully people can use that information when we come out of lockdown which hopefully if uh, Boris is something positive on June the 1st we might start to look at going back into training
1: how long do you think it will be before we can fence again or do something how you know 2 weeks 4 weeks 6 weeks
0: yeah it's tricky isn't it i think British fencing are doing a really good job of keeping people informed. They've started a task force as well. It's a group of people that are closely monitoring government guidelines and and saying what can and can't be done. And at the moment in time, it is very 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 limited next to nothing that we can do. But I think as of June the first, there could be some things that come into play, which will be nothing like the training that any of us are used to. But it will certainly start to look like the first rung on the ladder of building back to what we do actually know. I think. If I'm honest, I don't think we're going to see full training back for another month, possibly two, because the thing is, even if we are all back training in some capacity, there will still be social distancing measures, I think, which is going to still feel still feel really odd. I think uh, an optimistic me would say kind of a month to six weeks and a pessimistic me would say kind of eight to 10 weeks. But that's why everyone can be soaking up this information right now.
1: Yeah, totally. I, I'm i on the more optimistic side. Um, you know, I've said in the last week, I reckon within a month, fencing will be up and running again in some form, although I know that could totally be far too optimistic. And even then, it's all about minimising risk. So the only kind of dedicated facilities where you can control much more of the risk will, will be able to do things. So like the Leon Paul Centre for example they can guarantee cleaning or a certain level of hygiene and only a fixed kind of number of people coming in and out of the door as opposed to most of the sports centres and schools that most fencing clubs run out of where the foot traffic and turnaround is just so high it just makes things so hard.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Maria, who we we featured a few few weeks back, sent a really great podcast over to me that was a kind of interview with Bill Gates and the global pandemic and how people are dealing with it in different organisations, etc. Really worth a listen if anybody can listen to that. But obviously training to different people means different things. And for some people who are training just once a week, doing a light bit of fencing for fun, they might see things return for them in a normal capacity quite soon um for those that are training you know five to six days a week uh, competing internationally and stuff it's gonna potentially be a lot longer than that so yeah everyone's uh, in the same boat but we'll have different experiences about how we'll get back into this but this episode this week is actually on nutrition and fuel two words there chris nutrition fuel what do they mean to you
1: they mean the same thing to me it's about getting the fire going what are you feeding your body how are you helping it do what it needs to do and outside of training as well just in life for general well-being is that what you think of yeah
0: completely i mean i think with nutrition it's like kind of what you are putting in your body and in terms of fuel it's effectively how that's being used and and how much energy you're being able to get from that that whatever you're putting in so people train really hard and i've seen many top athletes train really hard and put absolute rubbish in their body one of the things that isn't i'm noticing about lockdown which has been great is first of all, it's a lot more time to cook and be disciplined with diet, prepare stuff and experiment with different foods as well, which has been great. But it also has kind of opened up my eyes even more because I would say my diet is pretty good. I I wouldn't say my diet was ever particularly poor. And it's something I've always been quite firm on. But you suddenly realize that good food and good diet and, and good nutrition is something that actually is a kind of like lifelong skill. It's something that you kind of you, you, you would be good to have throughout your entire life because if you're not putting the right things in you're not getting the right things out and, and just because people are training quite hard doesn't mean they can just dump anything in their body even if they're very genetically fortunate and it means they won't put an ounce of fat on the foods that go into your body are hugely important for many well-being factors aside from just sport and i suppose what i'm enjoying right now is still not only having clean living, but having the time to experience even more clean living, other things that I can kind of put in my body. What's really interesting is that one of our housemates is a vegan, as are you, Chris. And, and so what I've been amazed by is the variety of, of, of meals that he's cooked and things he's done for us and how tasty they are. And it's suddenly, given my my world of, of food, just it's grown almost overnight. I mean, h- how are you finding food in lockdown at the moment?
1: Yeah, I'm finding food very easy, actually, because when I go to the village shop, all I buy is fruit and veg. Um, <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> sometimes it can be, uh, you know, a little bit monotonous. Sometimes you need something to kind of kickstart some new ideas because you can rely on the same old. But I'm finding it absolutely fine. And like you, training hard, eating well, sleeping well. I actually found that I've lost weight since lockdown um, yeah me too
0: actually feeling leaner
1: yeah well i it might be all the the you know the fencing thighs have gone down a bit that's true that's true <laughs> <laughs> we might when we get back to it we might have to spend some time working on those you know with the heavyweights uh yeah. but no i feel i feel really good and you know i've, I've had everything that i would normally have available to me that's still available to me you know part of my staples it, you know uh, every meal and that's really really been been very handy i've been very lucky because i don't know if that's the case everywhere but the village shop that we have here has been really well stocked it's tiny only one person can go in at a time it wouldn't be social distancing to have more than one person <laughs> in at a time but they have vegan frozen foods uh you know linda mccartney stuff and they've got whole grains all around they've got absolutely everything you, you could want so that's really good so when you say that your palate has basically kind of exploded in flavor and size what have you yeah. had what what's What's changed? What's different? Give me, give me some ideas.
0: Yeah, completely. I think, to be honest, one of the main things that I always was never a big fan of before, and that's tofu. Uh, I've never been a big fan of tofu. And... and- Just to let the kind of listeners know, I eat anything. I kind of refer to myself as a bit of a Labrador. There's nothing I will often say no to, mainly because I'm always hungry, but I will literally eat anything. But, you know, I've had so many bits of tofu before and just very mediocre dishes, which is effectively just a slightly damp sponge. And I'm just like, I'll eat it because it's here and it's part of it. But I think what's been amazing is the fact that Ross, who's the housemate we're with, who's a vegan, he's prepared it in so many different ways and, and, and seasoned it in so many different ways and suddenly you're like, whoa, this has opened my eyes to the fact there are so many possibilities with tofu. And actually, it is such a great source of protein. And when you look at arguments for eating less meat and certainly a big one is sustainability ultimately we are on this planet and we're all in it together and just quickly dipping away from what i saw the other day what i really like it's that obviously in the world there is a finite amount of resources and if we just keep plowing through that there won't won't be enough and actually if everybody was able just to uh, maybe go one day or potentially two days a week meat free then actually we would kind of overnight solve the, the the resource problem here but in terms of sustainability i think it's a great argument and actually it's really converted my mind to thinking there are plenty of other things that i can have from a sustainability point of view to do my my bit for the for 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 the global resources you know and tofu is one of them
1: yeah absolutely on tofu i mean tofu can be really good it can also taste like a wet sponge as you said it all depends on, you know, it, it's got good stuff in it and it's all, all depends on the flavours you put on it. And on the sustainability front, absolutely, I think that makes a lot of sense. But, I, you know, I don't want to be shouting from an ivory tower and saying I'm the best because I'm vegan because that side of things has many problems as well. You know, things like avocados, uh, you know, aren't mm. great. Right and quinoa and actually even soy, you know, they all drain huge amounts of water. So it's it's the whole sustainability thing is not an easy want to solve. It would certainly seem that by eating a little bit less meat, things would go in the right direction, Yeah, but not necessarily solve everything. So there might be one direction that seems a little bit better, but, you know, nobody has the answer because otherwise we would have solved it already.
0: Oh, completely. And And when, you know, we're not here to have a political debate. Ultimately, this is about new experiences and opening our minds to, to even more opportunities and possibilities. And I suppose that I'm very adventurous with different types of food, um, and I've been very fortunate to try foods from all over the world, and actually to be able to not only try different dishes, but learn how to make them firsthand as well has just you know, opened my eyes entirely to a whole different range and a new range of cuisine. So yeah, I, I think it's great. And I think the other thing being a lockdown at the moment is we have more time and it's very easy to kind of go from one session to the next and feel exhausted and hungry. And we all make bad decisions when we're hungry with food. And so you think, oh, you know, well, I've eaten all my lunch that I prepared at home and actually, do you know what? I need a little pick me up before I kind of go to the next session. And then you dive in somewhere and you you know buy a rubbish packaged sandwich or something like that. And it fulfills a whole, but it's it's obviously not really that nutritious and very good.
1: And the big thing about processed foods, or I hate the term processed foods actually, but foods that you you know you buy out, everything's so full of salt. You know, yeah. it, it salt is everywhere. And being able to have the time to prepare food at home means you're more in control of that, which is amazing. Going back to what you were saying early on about people that have done lots of training and you know put the wrong stuff in. So I came across a phrase this week that my wife told me about because she heard it on the Sam Harris podcast. And so I don't know if you've he- ever heard of Dave Brailsford.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. He was the lead, um, lead for uh, it, uh, GB cycling team, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So yeah. he was performance director of British cycling from when they really started to win. You know, they yeah. around kind of 2003, I think it was, they were quite mediocre and then suddenly they really sparked a lot of changes. Um they started looking at all the different ways that they might be able to affect their lifestyles and things to make some changes. And so the phrase that I really like is the aggregation of marginal gains. Mm. So a positive aggregation of marginal gains. And the idea is that look at 1% gains in various different places, if you add them up, those might add up to a 15% gain. And something like diet and food is a big one, you know, day to day if I and I don't want to knock this down because I love having a burger. But if I have a burger today, that doesn't really matter. That's not really the end of the world. But, you know, if I have a burger a couple of times a week, you know, kind of as a regular thing over a period of weeks or months, those those add up. And that's the aggregation of those marginal gains. In that case, things will probably go downhill from a from a nutritional and a, a well-being perspective, so, you know, obviously to kind of depending on what you're having on it, having on, and you can replace burger with any kind mm-hmm. of food. But the idea is positive habits reinforce you know you're you're building positive habits they go in the right way and at the end of it you know you're not you're not just left with some like tiny tower of positive habits you've got this house this mansion in front of you like mm. oh, right, that just makes a difference i've suddenly got this huge thing and i can see all the benefits and that i often feel that way you know when we've had long blocks of training you know and i get home i'm like god i can't be bothered to do my core workout okay <laughs> well I'll, I'll you know i'll just do it the the next day, or even the next week, you look back and you go, "Man, I'm glad I, I'm glad I did all the all those extra workouts I couldn't have been bothered to do." Yeah. I'm glad I did those. I feel so much better for it. I wouldn't be where I am now if I hadn't done this.
0: They all add up, and you're absolutely right. And you know, I, I keep banging on about all the books that I'm I'm reading, and and habit is one of them, and it is about those kind of positive habits and setting those kind of wheels in motion to you are what you do repeatedly. And if you are able to get yourself in a, in a rhythm of doing things repeatedly, then you will fall into good habits. And those marginal gains all do add up. I know people often laugh at, uh, at me because I I have everything in my fencing bag and that's not bigging myself up. That's just, I tend to carry a lot of kit with me. Um, Usually lots of spares and lots of extras, but ultimately I know if there's a problem and something needs fixed, I know I've got it. And that's just one little less stress for me. It means that I'm ready to go on the day and, and actually, by those adding up over a course of time, it's no extra stress for me. Everything goes in the bag, but I know I can rely on those things if they go wrong. And that's 1% less stress that I need to carry at a competition. And, and, and if you're kind of doing the extras here or there, like, you know, making sure you're eating right and fueling yourself right and getting your hydration levels right, all of those add up. Ultimately, when you're a young fencer starting out, you've got to get the major percentages right which is you've got to focus on your footwork, you've got to get regular lessons, you've got to do your sparring, of course, to get the volume in, to get the big parts of it right. But as you get better throughout your career, and as you move further and further through when you become a, an elite athlete, it's looking at those kind of small percentages to kind of put that in perspective. And this is what I really love going back to John Southfield's book from last to first, he says that he talks to some of his kids at the club. And actually, this is a great example again for food, which is Some of the kids at the club, obviously, they're they're doing the training, blah, blah, blah. And if they're not, things aren't going the way they want them to. He says, look, when you come to club, you spend about 15 minutes having a conversation, right? In 15 minutes, you could have two extra fights. And if you have those two extra fights, if you're coming to the club four times a week, you add up, that's eight fights a week, right? You times that by then four again, and you have X amount of fights. And you look at that over the entire year, and suddenly, you have a big number of fights that you've missed out on. And then you put that in an Olympic cycle of four years and you have an even bigger number of fights you've missed out on. You then times that by three Olympic cycles and suddenly you've potentially lost over a year's worth of fights to someone that will become Olympic champion on that day. So it's suddenly what seems like a very small percentage is actually the thin end of the wedge, because when you you grow that exponentially, you actually find that there is a huge amount to be gained in the long run by setting these positive habits in motion. And diet is exactly that. And if you're able to set yourself up to have clean living now whilst fueling your body correctly, it's not only something that you will take throughout your your fencing career, you will also take as a life skill and be healthier in the long run.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think those you know, those positive habits and looking at the bigger picture really makes such a difference when i started sparring more the part of the reason was so like, right well i want to be here this is the level i want to be at well i'm not going to do that by only sparring three days a week you know three days a week or three nights a week even as it was then is what i mean six fights in an evening that's not very many that's only 12 18 fights over a week's period if you're lucky that's really that's nothing and then add the number of hits in there you know where's the opportunity to practice where's the opportunity to learn what a really good hit feels like to work on the moment and then that that you know that's assuming you're focusing and you know getting in good quality fights all the time or having good targets if there's a fight that just kind of gets away from you you're not you're not there with it you're not kind of doing something with your training then what's the point? And then that's whatever percentage of your week's hit total just kind of gone out the window. Even though we're talking about diet, it's applicable everywhere, you know, going for a run, going for a short run, going for a long run. And absolutely, on whatever you're doing, all these habits can be formed anywhere.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, you know, you and I are different in terms of the way we eat. um, But ultimately, we both look after our diet. So chris for you what does kind of like a weekly diet look like if you've got a normal training week when you're not in lockdown so kind of give us a, a an overview of what a normal week looks like for you when you're in training when there's no lockdown and now kind of compare that to what you're kind of doing at the moment with your new training regime under lockdown
1: actually my food looks pretty much the same <laughs>
0: okay oh well, that's that's, um, that's really interesting though
1: well actually i'm gonna ask myself and answer this and ask you and get your answer as well so we are ask quite a lot how much we eat? So I eat about three thousand calories a day when I'm in training. Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm sparring and fencing normally. What about you? How much do you eat?
0: I'm actually close to five and a half thousand. Five and a half. Yeah, it's a bit obscene. Uh, yeah, but then bear in mind, I do three sessions a day, and I don't literally eat that. A lot of that is also drank as well.
1: Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So I don't have five and a half thousand. I I have. Around about three thousand a day. I do two sessions a day, not fencing sessions. So, you know, one is fencing and the other one is another element of my training. So in my week, I have a lot of peanut butter. I love peanut butter. Yeah. I have a lot of whole grains and oats. Um, uh, so yeah. kind of peanut butter on toast and porridge, bananas, big part, and then you know some kind of dried fruits or so like raisins or something. I'll I'll throw into porridge as well. Those are usually my kind of go-to for breakfast, fueling for the day. After Oh, bagels, peanut butter bagel with bananas. That's my nice. favorite thing.
0: Just not with poppy seeds. Avoid the poppy seeds; they are very dangerous for elite athletes who get drugs tested. Just as a quick throwing that in there.
1: Yeah, you've been drug tested. I've never been drug tested. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I've seen it on a on a satellite form, I've sort of laughed and gone, <laughs> "Ah, they're joking." They? Until, <laughs> and then you told some stories. But no, they're not joking. <laughs> Quite a few kind of sandwiches as well. More, I I find textures more interesting. So, again, kind of whole meals, bagels. I have a lot of tofu, mushrooms, avocado, big parts of my diet. Mm. And then in terms of I'm going to just going to go through that meal by meal and then kind of, you know, supper is usually some kind of roasted veg with some frozen protein. So things like Linda McCartney range is really good. We love these right. things called the, the, the pulled pork burger, which obviously is vegan. It's really good. Is that jackfruit? Um,
0: is that jackfruit as well? No, it's
1: not. I think it's kind of soy protein and mushrooms oh. and, things like this, and beans. It's really good oh nice yeah it's delicious you know i think kind of the roast veg side of things sweet potatoes i love courgettes leeks and then sometimes you know a bit of a fry up with some tomato sauce you know to put to have like whole grain pasta or rice is really good um mm. you know onions beans of of any sort chickpeas are a big thing and yeah. lentils again because chickpeas and lentils are quite high in protein they form quite good options i think with all of that you can kind of mix and match a bit and, and throw things around as you want but you, yeah, i think my favorite meal of the day definitely is breakfast you know my peanut butter oh i'm and-
0: saying I'm the same. You wake same. Up in the morning. You've got to eat. You have to eat. I'm starving yes, when I wake up.
1: I go to bed having had enormous meals and go to bed already looking forward to breakfast. <laughs>
0: I, I'm with you. I'm with you, brother. And that's exactly, exactly how I feel. Breakfast is the best part of the day. Um, with your
1: coffee, yeah, the peanut butter and coffee with the banana. Oh, nothing better. I used to think it was Nutella. And they used to say I should be sponsored by Nutella. <laughs> but uh, I think it's been replaced. We now buy one kilogram jars of peanut butter. I think we go through kind of
0: one a week most of it's me eating it so <laughs> actually the, the almond butter is really good as well I've, I've, I've tried that and i've really enjoyed that that's been very good
1: uh do you think i'm i'm not a big fan of it i bought some here the other day because the bakery in the village had some i actually thought it was peanut butter and then they told me it was almond butter i bought it anyway went it'll be fine because we've run out of peanut butter i just find it a bit bland i just find it does i
0: yeah i find i find peanut butter too sickly though so i think that's why it suits my palate a bit more
1: oh fine okay i can bring this one back and you can have it i'll send it to you in the mail
0: <laughs> I'm um, running by the time it arrives. <laughs> yeah. You
1: could run here and back in that time, I'm sure.
0: Oh man. Um, but
1: no, I, I it's actually quite a hard question to answer when, when you're put on the spot. But uh I'm gonna it's you in a second to get preparing. Okay. But I think that provides quite a good overview of the kind of foods that I eat. I think some of the things that probably stand out there is that it's quite refined, carb heavy, but that doesn't bother me at all. I really love my fruits vegetables oh I didn't really mention any fruits I mean fruit anything I can get you know apples fruits. pears bananas you know are big parts of my diet absolutely love those grapefruit a great half a grapefruit every morning as well oh too it. bitter
0: uh, too bitter makes my face oh, turn that's inside what out. I
1: used to think I actually I used to coat it in sugar and then put it under the grill you know, like in the <laughs> uh, and then and then I don't know. It just kind of went off it. And I start my day every day off the hot water and lemon, actually, which is really good. Again, for hydration, as soon as I get up, I down one or two glasses of water, hot water and lemon, and then breakfast. I usually have my hot water and lemon on the table with me with my coffee because the hot water and lemon is too hot to drink but (laughs) of
0: course of course
1: it's a it's a a major problem but yeah so how about you what what does your what does your week look like and how how is it different now to how it would be normally
0: I think to be honest at the moment in time as I said there's a lot more time to be able to to kind of make food so there's a lot more cooking going on in general the breakfast haven't changed that much if I'm honest one of the things that I noticed uh, a little while ago, and again, consultation with, with one of my physios, is that I don't think I was having enough protein for breakfast. And so before kind of, you know, a, a, an early morning meal before training would be porridge and then sliced banana with a few berries in there of some kind, honey, almond flakes, you name it. And then two slices of whole grain toast with butter a coffee, orange juice, maybe even an apple on the go kind of thing. So but then I suddenly realized that there wasn't as much protein as that as there could be. And so that has now looked to transfer slightly where actually there is like kind of 0% fat, but uh, Greek yogurt. So that's full of, of protein, a much smaller amount, chocolate, banana and honey in that as well. But that's a side to the bigger thing now which is two slices of toast uh, smash up avocado on top of that bacon and then two poached eggs it sounds all very fancy and something you get down a a, a very uh, hipster kind of uh, place but ultimately it's really good i didn't realize that actually kind of good fats in the morning are also good hence why the avocados come in and people talk about the whole idea of bacon it's a bit of a fatty meat we, we kind of buy the, the medallion. So you're just looking at the main lean part of the, the bacon and it's grilled rather than fried. And then we have poached eggs on top of that as well. So that also brings a bit more protein to it. So now instead of having what was a very high GI index food that that was porridge and Uh, you know bananas and honeys and stuff like that which was great as long as uh, as well as having toast and stuff it's been transferred now to a similar thing with a yogurt obviously slightly smaller on scale but again that's full of protein because the greek yogurt and then obviously i've got kind of my bacon and my eggs on top of that which are really adding to the protein and the kind of good trans fats of of the avocado so that's really is now my breakfast and there's orange juice on top of that and, and a black coffee
1: i just want to say if you ever need more protein at breakfast I know you said you didn't like it, but like peanut butter or almond butter in your porridge goes really far. Um, uh-huh. I really like that. Actually, I discovered it a few months ago before lockdown when I was in the gym. Uh, I was listening to a Formula One podcast, and Valtteri Bottas said that's his favourite. Nice. And, oh, I wasn't really sure about it, but actually, it's it's so good
0: that's worth knowing i wasn't sure of the protein intake actually on that one so that that'll be really good to, to change that up as a kind of variation but then i usually go off to training and, and when i get to training you know it's a kind of 45 minute drive to training By the time i get there, you do a warm-up that kind of stuff i've always just got a snack as like a banana goes in again or an apple or something you know i also have my electrolyte drink with me on the side due to the training and then when i've you know when i've done a, that first tranche of training that's when like the first set sandwiches go in my face and again like kind of whole grain bread there so it's it really is trying to to, to not have you know white breads that are bleached and as you say a bit more processed the kind of whole grain stuff one of my s instructors uh many years ago said the best form of food is the stuff that comes out the ground and doesn't get manipulated in any way the closer you can get it to the earth the better and so things like you know potatoes and all that kind of stuff you know straight from from god's green earth so that that is a kind of understanding that the, the closer you can get it to its base form the better and so whole grain bread is all it makes up my my kind of and the thing is this whole, whole grain bread with lots of seeds on it again for a bit of fiber and roughage in there really helps usually they're kind of ham and cheese sandwiches again for a bit of a protein here cucumber because cucumber is really good for balancing out your electrolytes and, and helping with hydration levels as well and tomatoes in there because any form of red fruit Fruit or vegetable actually really is good at combating free radicals like common colds so i try and get a lot of red fruit or or veg and like peppers. peppers very sweet i like those And then, um, you know, tons of fruit bars. Those Eat Natural bars are really good. I do like those a lot. They kind of go in my face a lot. As you say, lots of nuts on the side that you can get your hands on. More fruit. There'll be more sandwiches throughout the day. I I eat about five or six times a day in terms of an actual sit-down meal. And then, you know, kind of before my next major batch of training in the evening is, like, lots of pastas. Again, whole-grain pasta or whole-grain rice probably some chicken in there or something again with probably you know peppers and that kind of stuff just really good quality veg Uh, maybe broccoli in there as well minimal on the sauce because it can be too heavy sometimes you know
1: yeah no broccoli is a really good one actually i I forgot to mention broccoli and spinach as well as a rough rule of thumb like the darker green it is Mm-hmm. the The more it contains you know spinach is really high in iron as well so iron protein and sort all sorts of kind of vitamins and antioxidants they're they're really really good
0: completely and actually that what i love about spinach is you're right because the high iron count um no one can afford uh big cuts of lovely steak um on a regular basis again so that as much as that in your face as possible really helps and then i'm very fortunate i usually come home in the evening and um and th- there is a a nice big uh dinner waiting for me And usually it is, again, a balanced diet. It's a good cut of meat. It's a good set of protein-based stuff and a lot of veg in there. And that can be done in many different ways, whether that looks, you know, like a a kind of pork chop or chicken breast or something like that, you know, and then lots of fresh veg and and whether it's rice or whether it's potatoes, again, you know, whole grain rice, whole grain potatoes, you know, going easy on the kind of any sauce that's put on top of that is really good. And the thing is, when when I'm in my normal kind of routine, it does mean that I have to get in volume. But at the moment in time, I'm not doing as much volume. So I've, I suddenly realized that my diet had to be amended to that. I didn't have to have as much volume. So I'm kind of having three square meals a day. Actually, in lunch, I'm going a lot less on the carbs at the moment, doing a lot more salads, getting a bit more protein for like halloumi and stuff like that, grilled halloumi on top of the, the salad with some pine nuts and things like that, or just to kind of give it something different, but at the same time, you know, make it actually nutritious. But I don't need that many carbohydrates realistically. Actually, I get a good protein kick in the morning for my breakfast. Usually kind of go out for the run. And then I'll have that in the afternoon. If I'm doing a weight session in the afternoon, then, it, then I'll, I'll put a carbohydrate base with that before I then, you know, have most of the afternoon to relax and just do admin work or social media work or whatever.
1: I've found, actually, I say, I have said before that, but I'm not really eating that differently. That I suppose that's not really true. I lie. Um, <laughs> but I having, thinking about it, think, hearing you talk, actually, one thing that has changed is that I am snacking less. You know, I, I don't mm. have as much between meals because normally before a training session, I'll have a coffee or a hot drink. And a snack, you know, a couple of slices of toast with something on it, and go. oh, actually, another really good snack is uh, have you ever had sliced apple with peanut butter on it?
0: Or almond? You, you and peanut butter, man. Get, peanut you know, I'm, butter. Gonna, I'm worried about you. I mean, so I, I love a good apple. So, so, good.
1: You know, so do, I, do could, I. I love a good apple. Great, great to, some, anything that's easy to eat in the car on the way to training is really handy but um no i mean i'm just going to throw that in there i i found that in men's health magazine which i don't read anymore but i
0: did kind of years ago <laughs>
1: you know it was brought up as a really good healthy snack and it, it's it really is it's good actually i mean if you'd rather have apple and brie then that's fine
0: wow i mean that that's that's an odd mix one thing about apples is always funny actually james davis texted me the other day and uh, his his girlfriend uh, watched him eat the whole core of an apple and he texted me and said i've got that from you and I've always eaten the entire apple, which you will find really weird. But so much so, it's rubbed off on my teammate. So bless him, and his girlfriend's looking at him like he's uh, a complete weirdo. So, but I don't know why I've done it. Mainly because, like you said, you're in the car, and you're like, "Well, I've got core now. I, I, you know, there's no bin around, so the whole thing might as well go in." So uh, no, great. no,
1: you can't, can't eat core, can't eat core. <laughs> and I leave it in the car, and then they say. They accumulate they end up being two or three then my wife gets in the garden like <laughs> I, oh sorry that's my bad um, Get rid of that stuff do you also eat raw mushrooms? Are you one of those people?
0: No actually not really. I mean no I don't think so.
1: Okay I mean that. I can
0: I can but I, I don't say I choose to do that. Um <laughs> you know
1: <laughs> somebody uh you know somebody kinda did it in front of me once and I was a bit like hang on what are you doing? I mean as you say you can. I've tried it. I don't think it's very nice. I'd much rather haven't cooked. But... <laughs> I just, I just, I just wondered. You know, you eat before. That's fine. To each their end.
0: No, no, fair enough. I mean, the, the, one of the things that actually we, I mean, you and I were talking about the other day is how kind of to monitor your diet. And I, you know, at the moment in time, you said you have lost a little bit of weight in lockdown, as have I. I think the other thing, as you say, is sometimes you get a bit panicky before training. Like, have I had enough fuel? And so you kind of go somewhere. And you go, well, I might just pick up this, and I might just grab that, just just, just in case. And then when it's there, you kind of end, just end up eating it. And that can sometimes be, you know, a, a bit of a bad habit. And I certainly, um, you know, kind of do the same thing. I get to. I get somewhere and I'm just having a coffee before I'm going to go to my next session. And I suddenly think, oh, maybe I am. Maybe I am a bit hungry. And I'm like, no, it's just because there's a toasty over there and it's looking at me at Costa. Oh, yeah.
1: Slice yeah. of cake.
0: <laughs> yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or or a slice of cake is out with me now. But no, I you know for the most part it, it's about trying to make sure that you kind of monitor your diet and chris and i are very good friends with um, ethan risdale who's a is a friend of ours who came out to the, the commonwealth with us and, and ethan's saying that he's you know again in lockdown he's experiencing really good quality clean living and he's really experimenting with foods and stuff like that and actually that he's doing uh his monitoring through his of his diet through an app and i actually use the same thing as well when i a few years back when i, I was trying to get a bit leaner and, and it's called my fitness pal and it's something that i champion because actually it's got fencing on there as well. So you can actually type in the activity that you've done and it comes up with fencing. It's always dangerous to look in too much depth about calories in, calories out, but it is a good base calculator to look when you are trying to say monitor weight fluctuations, because some people do want to lose weight or some people do want to gain weight and you can monitor that on this app. You can say whether you want to gain or lose weight and it tracks it for you. And then for every bit of exercise you do, you add that into the calculator and it will say how much you you've burnt, and then that obviously ratchets the tally and gives you more into your diet than you should. So actually, even though you may set it to lose weight and actually go, well, it's it's only saying from now on you can only eat two thousand five hundred calories or two thousand four hundred calories. If you do a fencing session that's an hour long, it, it adds that up into the the calculator and still makes sure you're hitting your target. So actually, at no point are you dieting per se, it is taking those into consideration.
1: Absolutely. And that's really helpful. But what I don't really use it to track how much I've burned because I kind of have a feeling. I know how I feel and kind of what, you know, whether or not I need to eat more or less. But what I find really helpful as somebody that doesn't eat meat and only plant-based food is to know what my macros are. You know, I don't always do it, but I've gone through periods where I'll go have a few days in a week or a few weeks at a time when I track my food just to see whether I'm hitting the right protein levels to see whether I'm hitting the right calcium, vitamin D, vitamin C, etc, etc, everything else that goes on with it. And that can be really, really helpful because it's quite surprising how much you need for various things and how little you need of of other macros as well. So Mm. I just want to throw some facts in here as well. So athletes need to eat more protein to support their training. That Mm. is a given. And so I've just got a few facts here that I found earlier. I say that endurance athletes need point two to 1.4 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight per day strength athletes need between 1.2 and 1.7 vegan and vegetarian athletes need to increase that by 10 percent again so actually so yeah well for various reasons actually which i won't really go into but really suddenly you're looking at i think you know my protein intake when i'm training and fencing and everything that goes with it about 150 grams of protein a day mark which is a lot you know i, I don't always hit it and something you you have to try to but it's really hard to hit that while keeping everything else under wraps there's a lot mm. of protein you to try and get in i don't know whether you found that before because i know you track your protein intake as well sometimes
0: yeah, of course, and there's a great app, and you can take out of that app what you need. And you know, for for you who is in great shape and, and is not necessarily trying to fluctuate your weight, you know, this is just something that you can monitor. This is the great thing about the app, My Fitness Pal, that just allows you to track weight, track macros, even just track how many calories you're burning in each kind of session. And, and you kind of realize that if you're waking up, and the great thing about it as well as it tracks your hydration. So if you're feeling particularly fatigued one day, was it because you you know you weren't also monitoring the hydration the same way? But yeah, I, I do, and. I agree. Protein is difficult to, to, to get that right all the time. And as I said, earlier on, I, I actually end up drinking some of my protein through protein shakes and kind of, you know, Chris, when we talk about when we're at competition, you know, kind of there are many things that we take to competition to, to, to help with the fueling of that. And I know actually some people are, are confused by this, but sometimes I take a protein shake after I finish my pool round. Why? Because I, I'm, I've got a long day potentially ahead of me. And after the pools I would have already depleted quite a lot. and I need a quick burst of, of, of not only the carbohydrates, but I also have to replace the, the protein as well and then have a snack. So sometimes it can be easy for the stomach to, to, to drink this sometimes rather than kind of just sit there and have to munch on, on big, heavy things. Because some people get nervous. They struggle to, to, to eat the way they want to before competition. And sometimes actually drinking the fuel you need is, is sometimes better.
1: That's a really good point you touched on. So David Coulthard, who was a Formula One driver, Scottish Formula One driver, had always really struggled with keeping breakfast down before a big race. And he said discovering meal replacement kind of changed his life and changed his career because he was able to digest it so much quicker. You know, he didn't feel nauseous or sick or like he was going to throw up before a race or anything. It, it, it completely turned everything around. And he's not really sure why that was, but he it might have been nerves, it might have been something else. But for him, it it you know, meals didn't really work, but a meal replacement before... Before a race worked well for him. So I'm not necessarily championing that before a fencing competition. But as you've said, after a round or after a match where you need to get something in quickly, that could work really well.
0: Yeah. And and even beforehand, if some, I mean, again, it's not something that I necessarily do because I'm, even though I'm nervous, it doesn't affect my stomach, luckily. But for some people, it might even be having a protein shake for breakfast rather than, you know, kind of what we've just spoken about. But Chris, give me your top three things that you have at competition to help fuel yourself
1: porridge in the morning. Yeah hot water and lemon in the morning nice and fruit i'm gonna say fruit quite broadly throughout the day so you know a banana between every round yeah at least and then usually some kind of kind of nut bars and things and i'll have pasta so something just a little bit heavier when i've got a bit of a longer break just to kind of mm-hmm. keep you going because it's it can be really hard to keep your energy levels topped up just right if you think of it as a needle on dashboard you know mm-hmm. you've got to keep it above a certain point sure. and below a certain limit you know, there's a kind of margin, uh, a margin for movement that's quite good. And if you if you feel yourself start to flag a bit, then that can't be great. But actually, I, I think really one of the big things that often gets overlooked is water and hydration and, and making sure you're you're drinking enough well before the competition starts throughout the day and well after as well. So I, I find I actually often have to go to the Lou and pee about every 20 minutes or half an hour in a competition
0: yeah 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 absolutely and i think people need to realize you know the 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 hydration is key in 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 fencing because we we lose so much uh you know body weight through sweat and for me you know kind of the top things i would take competition as you touched on it beautifully which is bananas they are they are golden to to any fencer out there and if you don't like bananas have a look at what's in a banana and try and do something similar. I mean, there are so many different fruits out there that will also kind of do the same thing. But banana's a big one for me. I'd probably say my fruit bars, uh, they, they they really, really help. And then probably my my isotonic drink that's got a little bit of sugar in it. They're my top three things that are always kind of going to be the main staple diet at a competition. And then you have your surrounding things. So you have your sandwiches, you have your pastas, uh, you have your nuts and, and things like that, and other forms of fruit that, that some people take. And I've got lots of gels as well that, that I take uh, to, to competition too but hydration is key and for those that are not really understanding how hydration works there is a great marker for this which is just what you pee out if you if you look at the color of your urine before and after a a training session or competition it should hopefully be the, the same color and you're looking for a very pale straw color is relatively healthy if it's coming out like a Barocca, it's probably not uh, the way it should be. So that's how, one way to just have a good understanding of what your hydration looks like. But for those that are trying to realistically understand how much you do lose and how much you have to drink at a session, weigh yourself, weigh yourself before the session. So say, for example, you have a 70 kilo male athlete or, or a, a you know, a, a kind of 55 kilo female athlete and they're, they're, they're weighing themselves beforehand. They'll do a full training session and they might just be weighing themselves in in their underwear or their skins or or their compression, whatever. Go and do a training session, finish your training session, come back, weigh yourself, and your if your hydration is correct, you should not have lost any weight. The amount of athletes that will lose one or two kilos in body weight because their hydration is not correct, and one kilo of body weight loss equates to one liter of water that you're not drinking. So actually being two kilos underweight after. A fencing session actually means you haven't had two liters of water, which actually is a scary amount when you look at a, a liter bottle. There's two of those you're missing, so your brain is not able to function in the same way. And actually, any food you take on board is not going to process the same way because your body needs a huge amount of water to process these kind of things. So it's key. Like I touched on a, uh, a couple of episodes ago, there's, you've got your isotonic drinks, which are basically mineral replacement, which comes out through your sweat, and then the isotonic part is has the sugar in as well. Hypertonic drinks are uh, mineral replacement with no sugar. So understand the two of those. If you're someone that's doing a very long training session and you need that extra sugar kick just to get you through, then use your isotonic. If you don't feel that you necessarily need that sugar kick, then you can have your, your hypertonic-based drink as well. But whatever you drink of that, you should be drinking double the amount of water. So for example, for me, I have a liter bottle of water that goes to training with me and a half liter bottle of water of hypotonic or isotonic. And when I've got through those, I fill them both up again. They go through the same process. So it's two parts to, to one part, if, if that kind of makes sense. And they are absolutely key to a training session or a competition because people forget that actually a lot of concentration and, and a lot of energy source will come from just staying well hydrated sometimes people can feel exhausted not because they're necessarily lowing running low on fuel they just have not got enough water in their system
1: i think that what you've touched on is really key i often go to training with at least i think three liters of water with me mm-hmm. i might not drink it all but i'll aim to drink it all and you know just again it's talking about it's just a good habit to get into you know have a swig have a bit between every match, every few minutes. By the time you realise you're thirsty, you're already dehydrated. So you yeah. need to stay ahead of that curve. And just talking about snacks quickly as well, one I forgot to mention, but that's I find really good for competitions is dates.
0: Oh yeah, nice. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, date dates are really good. Dried dates, really easy to get a hold of. Uh, I assume still. <laughs> I don't and really they're know.
0: like mouthful size. You can just kind of pop them in and away you go. You know.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. They're really, they're really good, and they're incredibly sweet. They're really nice. Um, but I thought this might be a good time to throw in a rule of thumb that I came across that I found really handy about fueling and diet and nutrition. So effectively, carbs to fuel, protein to rebuild and sugar for a boost. So, yeah. you know, as you can kind of work off that what you will. And that's often I have found it a really good way to go. So kind of at the beginning, you know, before a competition, before a training session, have some carbs, you know, have some toast, have some peanut butter. Have some hummus. Have have something kind of a bit heavier that's not necessarily protein. Because if you've got if you take protein before you go and exercise, your body has to take that and convert it into carbohydrates, which your body uses for energy. Which is why it's important to have carbohydrates beforehand. Sugar, especially glucose, is very quickly accessible to the body, which is why if you have some sweets or some fruit or something, your body can use that energy almost immediately. And protein for after, because as you've mentioned, Ben, you kind of deplete muscles you break your muscles tearing being broken down they're trying to make gains they need protein to rebuild so again it just gives them what they need at the right time
0: Oh, absolutely. And, I, you know, when we spoke about the you know the, the drinks as well, is that both Chris and I use those kind of energy drinks spoke about. But if, you, if you're if you not liking them to drink necessarily, I also have the gel shots, which are the same thing. They've kind of I've got a lot of uh, sugar in them as well. And that can give you a quick boost, especially through pool fights or even in the minute break. If you suddenly realize that you haven't quite got the, the nutrition right throughout the day. So I, I take a lot of those gels as well. And some people have the tablets that drop into water, whether that be hypertonic or isotonic. And then I actually use powdered form for, for my isotonic drinks, which are all really good. One of the things I do use at the weekend, if it's been a particularly big week, is is yeah, Barocca, for example. Good little boost in the morning. Just again, it gives you a thousand times your mineral uh, daily dose. But actually, if you've been depleting for the whole week and you haven't necessarily felt like you've managed it particularly well shoving that in board on board can really help because it'll just bring you back up to the kind of levels that you need so use that as almost a kind of extra boost if you need it every now and then but i really champion that and you know the a lot of these liquid tabs and and um, gels and stuff like that that you can get for for competition or even for training I, i tend to use sis one of the reasons why i use sis is because or science of sports is known is because it's batch tested now for the elite athletes uh, among us that are probably listening is that the great thing about batch tested is if for example your drugs tested and you failed it or whatever you have a batch number to go back to the other thing is as well being batch tested it does mean that for the most part well not for the most part it is almost a, a very very certain that by these being batch tested regularly there will be no other impurities remember supplements are made sometimes in a factory where other things are made and elite athletes drinking things and taking things on board. If things are made in the same factory and there's cross contamination, you can suddenly get yourself in a lot of trouble. So make sure you use supplements that are actually batch tested because you know that on a regular basis, they are being checked for no impurities or nothing that might be a detriment to the athlete to fail a drugs test. And, along the kind of supplements area is that if anybody is looking for a, a way to understand more about how to check supplements there's a really really great website so a couple of times we've had so before we flew out to rio and things like that and, and other events where we've had to have drugs talks they always champion this really good uh, site called informed sport um, which is where you can check supplements on that website you can check batch numbers and things like that to make sure that everything you're putting in your body is good for the athlete and actually won't have any detrimental effect to any drugs test that you may we um, may take uh, just alongside of that as well if you are somebody that has has to take medication and you are slowly making your way through the ranks and trying to compete at the highest level one day where you may get drugs tested whatever medication you may be on or whatever medication that you may need in the future always run that by global draw that's a website called global Drow. you can also download that as an app and again you can check those things to make sure they are legal for your sport these are all really important things because there was a really tragic story about an olympic downhill uh, slalom skier called alan baxter and we've been told this story many times at drugs awareness meetings we've had is that he went all the way to the olympic games and he won a bronze medal at the winter olympic games and then was drugs tested and failed and he failed because instead of waking the team doctor up one night because he had a slightly snuffly nose he went down and I think got himself a VIX inhaler. He was in America, the Winter Olympic Games in America, and he just popped out and got himself a VIX inhaler rather than talking to the Team GB doctor. Gave it a, a, a use because he knew it was perfectly legal to use uh, and then failed the drugs test because... things that are made in america are subtly different to what i made in the in the uk and if he'd been able to check it on that website he would have known that it was unfortunately full of uh, substances that weren't legal for 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 him and unfortunately had his bronze medal taken away which was a horrible crying shame for him because it was such an amazing performance and actually he wasn't purposely trying to do wrong but he wasn't able to uh go to, to have any argument or say because ultimately he had put it in his body so Make sure that if you're doing taking any supplements, you're checking them on Informed Sport. Or if you're taking any medication, you're checking it on Global Dro. Otherwise, you do not want to end up like Alan Baxter.
1: Oh, definitely not. That's really good to know because I didn't really know about much of that. So there you go. Really, really helpful information.
0: Actually, the one thing I was going to quickly say, so sorry to interject, Chris. Oh, go for um, it. You and I experienced it when went out to Australia, but international travel and, and diet can be tricky. My top tip is make the lunch that you will eat at the competition from the hotel breakfast so we often find as a squad sometimes when we're staying in a hotel that you go down to breakfast it's a kind of buffet style breakfast grab as many little rolls as you can and stuff them full of bacon and cheese and whatever you get your hands on wrap them up stick them in a rucksack and take them to the competition it is a brilliant thing that i learned from some of the senior athletes on my travels around the world because the last thing you want to be doing is running around a venue trying to look For somewhere to find good quality food if you're in a hotel make sure that you grab everything you need from breakfast hopefully the night before if there's any specialized snacks that you want but in terms of making food for the day of competition i always find the best trick is to steal it all from breakfast we're doing a lot of staying at airbnbs now where we've actually got kitchens and stuff at our disposal so we can do a lot more of our own cooking and preparation at competitions which has been really good one of the things that i would say though is if you ever get a chance to look and go to a competition venue the night before it's always worth checking it out just to know what potential vendors there are there in terms of food because a you don't want rubbish food and b you don't want to stress looking for it on the day so either take it all with you from home if you're nas- competing nationally or if you're going internationally try and check out a local store for some specialized stuff otherwise nick it all from breakfast you've
1: been a pioneer of that for a long time i remember you talking- about like years ago when nationals were still in Sheffield, and you were making your sausage sandwiches for lunch from the, <laughs> from the hotel. Oh <laughs> yeah,
0: oh yeah. Uh, I,
1: no, I I my thing is knit just nickel the fruit from breakfast. That's really handy. you Don't need to go out and buy bananas the night before. Well, they've got loads of breakfast. It's fine. Bananas, yeah. onions, oranges. You know, I basically just take the bowl and just empty it into my. Comes <laughs> down with me. And uh,
0: and then then Chris's French side comes out and he grabs a few croissants as well and uh, before before he goes to the competition too right?
1: Yeah, not anymore, not anymore, vegan.
0: <laughs> That's it. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah, they're they're not, yeah. are they? Okay. Yeah, I That's... think
1: I think my dad's ready to disown me. I was really nervous when I first became vegan and I had to tell him because I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't eat meat, <laughs> I don't eat cheese. <laughs> I,
0: don't... I know they've got some fantastic uh, wines in France. You must be. Uh really really upset and also the french do amazing cuts of meat and cheese as well so you know i often love going to uh, to the paris world cup because you get such amazing uh quality food out there but being a vegan becomes slightly more challenging to have a lovely bit of cured meat and cheese with a nice glass of red before uh, or not before a competition definitely after a competition <laughs> i don't
1: know i feel like the french might do it before or during helps you loosen up you know warm up in the morning get, get the pie going <laughs>
0: absolutely but you're right Chris this probably brings us on to the ask us anything section and actually recently uh, Chris and I have been in contact with um, Steve Petrie who is the lead SSE coach at Truro fencing club and he also is the strength and conditioning coach for the athlete development program that British fencing runs and he also does some work with the Danish national team if any of you uh, follow Steve on Facebook you'll see that he's working very hard to do a lot of information sharing and give some stuff out there to the fencing community about what you can be doing whilst in lockdown. And, and some of the stuff that he's come out with is, is absolutely superb. He knows uh, Will Deary very well and Chris Buxton, and, and, and they're doing a great thing as well. They've developed an app called BB Fit, which is a really good SSE fitness-based monitoring app that you can get your hands on now. They are actually, I believe, I believe um, allowing to download for free whilst we're in lockdown. And that's all things that you can kind of aid yourself with while we're in lockdown. So definitely give Steve a follow and, and download Will and Chris's uh, new app as well, because they are great. But Steve asks the question, what type of training, be it physical, mental, tactical, or technical, could have helped you reach your goals earlier in your career And how did you choose what coach stroke method to use? Chris, floor's yours. So
1: for me, mental training would have been much, much, much desired earlier on. I actually, I used to feel that consistency was a a big problem for me. And I'd come out of a season or even a tournament thinking if I had beaten the people I felt like I should have beaten or the people on paper that I should have beaten and then lost to the people that I probably should have lost to. I'd have been much further ahead and it wasn't until I went to see a sports psychologist. I think these things really made a difference or, you know, he, he said a few things to me that really made a big difference and it didn't take very much. You know, it, we had an hour session and almost immediately, I saw the gains. I kind of went from winning kind of three fights in my pools, uh, you know, even domestic level, satellite level to suddenly being all up. You know, I think I, I then lost kind of two or three pool fights in like four months and it, it was amazing and it was all just head game. It was all head game, killing off a fight not making silly decisions, um, having some swagger, as he put it, as well. Which mean, you know it's kind of just confidence and belief, and you know believing in yourself. And it it was so brilliant. It really made such a difference. And I've had more sessions with him since. And every time I go to him, you know, that's been a big thing. Of course, physical training, tactical training, technical training. You know, more of all of those could have made a difference as well. But I've heard stories of fencers, you know, who only have so much technical ability, and fencing ability, but so much more belief, and they get so much further. And I think that you know really highlighted something to me because um you know my my head i always thought was a bit weaker but i've I've really tried to work on that in the last few years and actually even at the beginning of when was it i think the beginning of this season mm. you know i had a, a funny start to the season where I, I realized i was dropping a few pool fights here and there but we had a chat about how to improve pool fights and actually from then on i only did fives at training and actually mm. for, until lockdown so i think from september to march Mm. I was only doing fives at training and it's amazing what a difference it made because suddenly I wasn't afraid or so nervous about the fives actually and when you when you're confident about fives fifteens are easy you know it, yeah it, yeah, it's made such a difference I just felt like I was a fence to grow in a fight and really start to feel it when you when you're going to five you don't always have that opportunity mm, mm, yeah mm. I, so, I completely
0: agree specialized training is is really key uh, and, and looking at targeting certain areas but I, I, I agree with you Chris I think psychology with uh, I would probably that's my answer as well I think that access to to understanding psychology earlier um would it would would have helped me in my career but not necessarily specialized psychology seeing a psychologist one-on-one i just think doing more work on it in terms of learning about it more and understanding a bit more the same way i had an interest in learning about fencing and strength and conditioning and i think that i would have liked the coaches I, I i had worked with at my very early part of my career to help me with a learning mindset towards kind of things and 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 opening up my mind to lots of information including psychology and kind of a lot of people think needing to work on psychology it's a massive weakness and it's really not unfortunately you know mental health awareness is so prevalent these days and we all need to make sure that not only are we happy and healthy with what we're doing from day to day but that also you know applies on the piece as well And and i think that just doing some a lot more early work and broadening my understanding understanding of psychology itself would have helped me understand my training, my competing. And then as I got older, I could start to specialise in obviously seeing uh, a psychologist, a sports psychologist one-on-one to, to, to really find methods that, that help and, and, and coping mechanisms for for high-pressure situations. Um, so I completely agree. And and to be honest, I think when you're young, you know, you, it is a bit of trial and error. Sometimes you don't know a lot about the coaches you're working with. They're just kind of, they're at the clubs you you, you kind of go to at the same time being a bit more analytical about that trial and error. Did that work? No. Okay. Did that work? Yes, that did work. And, and kind of then looking at things a little bit more analytically from that point of view uh, and seeing where the gains were made. But ultimately, yeah, I, I, I'm the same as you psychology from an early age, not necessarily one-on-one, but just understanding it as a topic better from an early age, I think empowers a young athlete.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that's really good and really interesting. Um, I know I certainly would have benefited a lot from that because I came to fencing quite late I started when I was 15 for like an hour a week at school then I didn't do anything for two years and then when I went to uni I actually went into the fencing club and thought I want to go to the Commonwealth and then you know 11 years later I did it which was amazing but having that self-belief and not thinking that those people are better than me because they started earlier really would have made a big difference
0: Completely and I think that's it isn't it is that the understanding that just because you started a little bit later doesn't mean that um, you can't get there and actually sometimes with age and starting a little bit later means more maturity and actually that can really help from a psychological point of view but it means also you can make those gains faster because the training you do go into you do look at it from a more mature point of view so there's also nothing wrong with that and some of the you know uh, James Williams, who was a brewer, I think he started maybe with fencing when he was seventeen, and and he went to the Olympic Games, and I believe made the you know top sixteen back at the potential, I think it's Barcelona Olympic Games. I could be wrong. He was one of the the lead coaches back when when we had the. Uh, the task program and, and he's brilliant and, and still a, a, a you know a very very good quality coach these days but he started very late and it's also about your work ethic towards it as well and, and not seeing that as a hindrance but actually see the, the positives you can take from it so uh, which you have done which you have done got one more
1: question I, we've covered some of this already but I'll ask it anyway during competitions what do you do between rounds to keep fresh and ready for the next match
0: to be honest a bit of escapism is one of the things I'm I'm, I'm learning is that actually get out of the fencing venue for a bit luckily a lot of the competitions I'm at I get a time for when I'm com- when I'm competing in the next round and so i can afford to pop back to the airbnb or even just pop out of the of the fencing venue for a little while just to get some fresh air because trying to keep focus for the entire day is nigh on impossible so actually knowing when you, your focus has to be at its, its peak and other times when you can completely relax That focus is is really important. So getting out, getting some fresh air, getting your head away from the claustrophobia that is the fencing hall at times is really important. And it's one of the things that I'm learning. A bit of escapism in general, put the headphones on, go outside, have a walk, um, have a little bit of snack outside and get some of some of your own personal time it can be all too consuming but if it's not something you necessarily want to do by yourself grab a teammate go outside and get some fresh air but just escape the fencing hall a bit because it can all be very overwhelming at times because if you've got that time on your own the brain starts to race and 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 make assumptions or worries or looks around for other things that are going on and may and may not happen sometimes it's just good to get away and allow the mind to have a little bit of space
1: yeah totally i think that's a really good answer actually one i hadn't even really considered but one thing that always makes me a bit nervous is starting in the second wave you know especially if there's the kind of no check-in you know you talk about a satellite or a world cup you check in not on the day of the event i just have to trust that it's going to be fine but i never have complete confidence that i'm not going to get there and they'll have been, well, where were you an hour ago? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's always a fear. Actually, they did that once. They published the pools wrong once and didn't put it in all the hotels. And there was a hole anyway. It was a big mess at a competition. But okay. <laughs> there is always that, that worry. But you hope that if your teammates are there early enough, they'll give you a bell if something's gone terribly wrong.
1: Yeah, no, totally. Well, um, so my answer focuses more on physical. Uh, between rounds, I I tend to have a bit of a rest. But, you know, I want to make focus on not getting too cold. So between every round, I have a banana so make sure you have enough bananas to get you to the final. And I know how long it takes me to warm up for about, you know, so you do your big warm up before the competition. I get an hour and a half before, so I've got time to kind of relax a bit, get into my warm up, do some sparring so nothing's really rushed. And I know that I'll need a few minutes before each fight, but you you tend to feel it a bit. So you know what's tight, you know what you need to move. And the usual kind of muscle groups, you know, you want to loosen up sometimes just jogging a bit, sometimes sparring and hydrating a lot. Again, you know, I'll probably go through a liter of water between fights. Um, and as I said, there's an element of playing it by ear. So, but, you know, usually there's a similar process of stretching, drinking, eating and, and getting the fire going, making sure I'm ready for domestics. That's much easier because the time between rounds can, is much smaller. Internationals can be much bigger. So I know that I think it was in Tokyo last year. You know, you you did your pools. You were first wave after your pools. You know, I think you had a bye. And that meant you had like a six hour wait. Between yeah, it was pools mental. And, then, and that, that's the kind of, you know, that kind of gap is incredibly hard to manage you know and as you say you've probably then got to get out of everything sort yourself out and then almost kind of come back and do a kind of proper warm-up again we start that, again you
0: know. yeah you almost have to cool down get unchanged go out have some food then come back in it's almost like a fresh fresh take on the day yeah, yeah, you completely. can't you
1: can't keep focused for that long and and you know looking at what's around and people talking to you and not and you know there's, there are just too many factors that as you say i, I imagine i'd have to just do that as well so, yeah, I think those are some really great questions and brings us on to what kind of wrapping up really where we talk about what we're going to be doing next week. And I think we're going to start looking at some interviews, aren't we?
0: Yeah, we are. We had our first ever podcast, uh, which was the kind of overview. The first episode was an overview and we spoke about kind of seven things that we 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 really wanted to to hit. And we've kind of gone through those um, episode by episode. And this kind of landed us in episode eight, which is now. So in terms of episode nine, this means that we would most likely want to start interviewing some people. There have been a lot of interest on, on this podcast, which thank you so much to all the listeners that are supporting this. But also there are so many people out there that we admire. Um, and, and love the work that they're doing and also are so insightful within this game and, and, and it would be great to tap into their brains. So we're going to start getting in contact with some of those people and bringing those on to talk even more detail about what they've been doing in lockdown and how they are gonna move forward after lockdown with their own training, with the people they coach or the people they see or, or whatever capacity they bring. So hopefully we can bring you lots of different people, strength and conditioning coaches, fencing coaches of many different weapons, sports psychologists, those kind of things, so we can really tap into their brain and, and, and work out what A makes them tick, what they've been doing in lockdown and what they're gonna do post lockdown. So I think that uh, that's what we're going to look to do from episode nine onwards. And I can't wait
1: to hear the opinions of all the people that have expressed an interest in being on the podcast. That's really good. Um, And in the meantime, you can continue to follow us on Twitter at FencedIn Podcast. And you can subscribe, review, contact uh, on Google, Apple, Spotify, YouTube and Transistor. You can't necessarily do all of those things on all of those platforms, but you'll figure out. (laughs) So keep the comments coming in. Keep the questions coming in keep the reviews coming in very importantly and we'll speak to you next time
0: yeah great thanks very much everybody see you then
1: bye bye the fenced in podcast has been created in association with j4g design your one-stop user experience agency for all things digital websites graphic design and technical support